You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 20 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 20 features a 10-fight card in total and will be aired exclusively on ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a light heavyweight contest between Dustin Jacoby, who is 13-5, and, and Maxime Grishin, who is 31-8-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? A couple quick notes before we get rolling here. Of course, the opening betting odds that I will be quoting are market opening prices, and they are available on MMAOzBurger.com. Check out our opening betting odds article for UFC Vegas 20, done by Adam Martin. The updated betting odds are from Circus Sports here in Las Vegas and in Colorado, actually. So if you're in Nevada or Colorado, make sure you download the Circus Sports app and check us out. It's the place to bet on MMA and UFC. Um, and that said, if you're ever in town, make sure you head over to Circa Las Vegas, the new resort downtown. We have Stadium Swim. We have the world's biggest sports book. It's the place to be. Don't miss out if you get the opportunity to go to Circa Las Vegas. It's an awesome spot. All right, now getting into the first fight, Jacoby opened minus 210, the comeback on Grishin at plus 180. And over at Circus Sports right now, we currently have Jacoby minus 185, the comeback on Grishin at plus 160. A lot of movement up and down on this fight, a little bit two-way action coming in. I'll tell you what, Grishin as an underdog is definitely very tempting. I mean, the guy is probably the more well-rounded mixed martial artist, the more experienced mixed martial artist, the more complete fighter in general, I think, overall. Jacoby, though, he's definitely developed his combat sports skills, especially in the kickboxing end. He's had a lot of glory kickboxing success, which is at the highest level, really. I mean, the kickboxers and the elite strikers they have in glory are top of the line, no doubt about it. So the experience, I think, that Jacoby has received by competing at the highest level in kickboxing carries over well he's always been working and developing his mma game as well so it's not like he's a fish out of water on the ground or with his wrestling um, so he is a pretty complete fighter but i just think grishan is just a better mixed martial artist in general but how they match up here i think jacoby will be able to have a little bit more success on the feet against grishan grishan does have some power and you have to respect his striking as well but i think out of the two the passive victory for Christian is definitely getting this fight to the ground and trying to take advantage of Jacoby still where I think he has the better ground game um, and he could probably exploit Jacoby a little bit on the ground if that's the case. Or again, just kind of land that knockout punch outside of that. I think he probably does get picked apart a little bit more. Um, the cardio conditioning will be interesting here as well because we have seen Jacoby slow down a bit in fights and I think Christian could probably step on the gas a little bit. Now he did miss weight by four and a half pounds. And that's not a good thing. So I think you got to apply caution to this fight in general. But I think it's a spot where you should see Jacoby outpointing Grishin on the feet more times than not and kind of squeaking out a competitive type of decision. Um, if there's going to be a finish, I realistically could see it go either way. But um, I think both these guys are durable enough to withstand kind of what each other has to throw at them. And I think it probably does more than likely go to the scorecards. And if that's the case, I see Jacoby edging it out. So my pick is Jacoby. But the betting price, you got to be cautious here. And I like Jacoby as well. 
Um, the main thing here is I expect this fight to stay standing. And while Grishin has shown that he has some power and that he's dangerous with serious knockout artist, uh, Jacoby is, you know, uh, now a glory kickboxer. Um, so he has looked really, really sharp on the feet, uh, not just during his run in glory, but since returning to MMA, uh, he looked good on the feet in his contender series fight. And then he looked amazing on the feet against Ledette. So uh, I think this will be a, a good test for Jacoby, but as long as this stays standing, he should be able to keep this technical and outwork and outpoint Grishin. Um, Jacoby will have to watch out for that home run shot because Grishin does have some serious power, but I just see Jacoby uh, outpointing and out techniquing uh, Grishin on the feet. I mean, he is just a step ahead of him. Uh, as Nick said, the one thing I am a little worried about is. You know, Jacoby is still just get, getting back into the MMA game. This is only like his third fight since returning from that hiatus to, to compete in kickboxing. So he might still be getting his legs a little bit. And if Grishin drags this out, uh, Jacoby might slow down again because uh, he did slow down on that contender series fight that went to the decision. Um, he looked great in a fight that we went halfway through the first round. So we do need to see him tested a little bit in a longer fight. And, uh, you know, if Grishin perhaps uh, tries to take Jacoby out of his element, you know, tries to get this to the floor, put this in the clinch, just not at just pure kickboxing range, it gets interesting a little bit too. Now, Grishin isn't a particularly great ground fighter or wrestler or anything, but, uh, you know, that's not Jacoby's strength either, really. So if he, you know, uglies this up a little bit, it does give him a better chance to win. So... Uh, but if Jacoby does uh, keep this at proper distance, I think he's going to be in really good shape. So my pick is going to be Jacoby. I think he at least wins a decision. If not, uh, perhaps knocks Grishin out along the way if it stays standing. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Ronnie Lawrence, who is 6-1, taking on Vince Cachero, who is 7-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Lawrence open minus 140, Cachero plus 120, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Lawrence minus 155, the comeback on Cachero at plus 135. And this is another spot where the line got bet up a little bit, now it's coming back down. Two-way action and two-way respect here in this fight. Man, I, I like what I see from the underdog Cachero. I think he's the type of fighter that you can really depend on because he brings it every time he steps in the cage. I mean, this guy's a talented mixed martial artist. Uh, he's not afraid to go after it on the feet. He's aggressive. He's got power. He's got a bit of wrestling, obviously, and, and some jujitsu to go along with it. But problematic for him in the past has been getting put on his back, getting controlled, getting it grinded a little bit more so. Uh, but this guy has a lot of heart, and he makes it difficult. It's never an easy task to get Cachero out of there. But the problem with him here in this matchup is that Lawrence is just that. I mean, he's an outstanding wrestler. He's relentless with his takedowns, and his scrambling ability is impressive as well. I mean, so he's that type of grappler that is going to look for those takedowns often, and he's going to control you. He's going to take advantage of whatever position and control and opportunity you give him on the ground. And then on the feet, his karate-type style with his kicking game is very effective as well. I mean, he lands spin kicks fast. You don't really see him coming. He's a little unorthodox with all that stuff as well. So there's a lot to like in this matchup. I think on the feet, it'll be fireworks. It'll be back and forth. I think Cachero has better boxing, but Lawrence has better kicking. 
And on the ground, it's definitely Lawrence that could kind of blend the two together a little bit better. And that's why he's a slight favorite coming into this fight. So it won't be an easy fight. I think it's going to be one of Lawrence's toughest tests to date because Cachero, like I said, he brings it every time he steps in the cage. And he's going to do so again. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. He's a very tempting underdog at this price. I think it's probably a dog or pass situation. But that said, I expect Lawrence to do what he does best and and control him enough here and and get the W and look impressive and get a solid win over Cachero. So my pick is Lawrence. But, man, I'm looking forward to this fight. I think it should be a pretty close, competitive, fun one. Yeah, I I really like Lawrence here. I mean, it's not often that a fighter gets called special by Dana White. Now, sometimes that's a curse, but, uh, you know, this guy has all the tools to, to have a good run here in the UFC. Uh, he looked amazing in his fight on Contender Series. I think he picked up about six takedowns along the way, uh, earning a dominant victory. Uh, so he is making his UFC debut here, but uh, I think this he has the skills to have a very successful run in the UFC. Uh, he's got experience in uh, LFA and Bellator and on Contender Series, obviously. And he's facing an opponent here in Cachero who, while talented, you know, Cachero does have some power and some submission ability and, uh, you know, some good heart. But he did get taken down repeatedly in his loss to Jamal Emmers. Now, that being said, Emmers is an extremely talented a fighter in his own right, and that was up a weight class on short notice. So I'm not going to, you know, crucify Cachero too much for that loss because, again, there were a lot of factors involved. But uh, the path to victory is definitely there for Lawrence. And I think Lawrence is at least as good of an offensive wrestler as Emmers, if not better, um, even if it is down a weight class. But I am interested to see how Cachero looks with a full training camp, um, because, you know, this guy has competed against some very talented fighters, both in the UFC and in his time in LFA. But uh, I do think that this is a really tall task and the matchup is difficult, mainly because of the wrestling. So I have to side with the wrestler here, but uh, Kashiro is going to be putting up a fight as long as it's standing. So, but Lawrence will be my pick. Now, sticking with the Bantamweight division, we have Alexis Davis, who is 19 and 10, taking on Sabina Matso, who is 9 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Mazo opened minus 240, the comeback on Davis plus 205. And right now what we're seeing over Circus Sports is Mazo at minus 215, the comeback on Davis at plus 185. Another tough one, man. I mean, Alexis Davis, for those of you guys that don't, know and are not familiar with her i mean she's a true vet and one of the best i think bantamweight fighters that we've seen in mma i mean as far as historically goes she has all tools that you want to see in a fighter i mean solid striking technical effective she's got a great ground game probably better than expected wrestling and takedown ability as well and she's a finisher so she's a solid overall fighter the problem with her is she's getting older she's past her prime She's hittable on the feet. She gets marked up quite a bit. So defensively, it's it's one of those situations that I think she absorbs a little bit more punishment than you'd like to see her take. And this fight with Mazo, it's almost the other extreme. Mazo's a lot younger than her. She's an up-and-coming fighter. We, we see the growth in her in the UFC thus far. She's getting better fight by fight. It's all starting to click for her as well. Um, very impressive. Her takedown defense is getting better. She's got a good ground game. I mean, offensively, I think she's very 
underrated in that aspect of things. And then, of course, he's going to be longer and I think the more effective striker on the feet. So it's hard not to like Mazo in this spot. It's just a dogger pass situation still to me because I think if Davis is able to have success, because in the past, Mazo has had issues with being put on her back and controlled a little bit. And if, if you kind of face that against Davis, a lot of times you can't succeed in keeping Davis at bay or, or hitting a submission on a girl like Alexis Davis. So it's not going to be easy for Mazo to finish this fight on the ground, I think. And Davis might have the opportunity to get top position and then kind of utilize her jujitsu and her strength on the ground once she does get it to the floor. So that's a concern there. I think that's her path to victory is the pressure, the pace. I think the overall effectiveness of, of Alexis Davis getting this fight to the floor. And then once she's able to do so, you know, utilize her strength and, and trying to grind out her decision win over Mazo. I just think it's going to be tough to do so. I think she's going to absorb a lot of punishment. And with the growth in ability and improvements that we've seen in Mazo's game, I think, that's what's going to kind of put her over the top. So it's a dogger pass situation. There's no way you can lay Mazo at minus 215 here or 200-ish. I think you have to sit back and watch and see her growth continue to improve and get better. And with a win over Davis, I think it's going to say a lot. So the pick is Mazo, and I think she probably does get it done here. Now, I'm not sure if both of these girls are staying at Bantamweight, um, but you know Davis and Mazo historically have been at flyweight. Maybe they're just moving up a weight class because they both can and they didn't want to cut as much weight, but we'll see how that affects both of them. Uh, Davis does have a long history at Bantamweight before her most recent three or four fights. Now, uh, the biggest difference here clearly though is age. I mean, Alexis Davis at 36 years old, Matzo is the up and coming prospect at 23. So 13 year age gap. Uh, Matzo is the more powerful striker. She's coming off of, I think the the best performance of her entire career, finishing Justine Kish, um, she definitely is somebody to to, to look out for. I think, uh, you know, she had all the hype behind her when she debuted in the UFC and it got derailed a little bit against Moroz, but now she's on a three-fight winning streak and she's looking better and better each time we see her. So I think she is definitely a fighter on the rise in the, the flyweight division. Now, uh, Davis, she is on a three-fight losing streak, but it is a little deceptive. You look at who she lost to, you know, so far, the four fighters that she's faced are all people other than her most recent one that have fought for the belt. I mean, she debuted against Liz Carmouche at a flyweight, won a split decision, and then since then she's lost decisions to Chukagian, Jennifer Maya, and Araujo. And Araujo is somebody that's on the rise right now as well. So, um, she has only lost to some of the best of the best. So I think that that might, uh, I do think that she's on a decline at 36 years old, but you know, you cannot underestimate her either. So if this goes to the ground, um, Davis does have that sneaky ability to pull off some submissions. Uh, we've seen her wrap people up. Uh, I mean, hell on the ground, she actually finished Amanda Nunes back in the day from top position. So, uh, you know, you have to definitely be careful with uh, uh, Alexis Davis. Um, she is a very capable ground fighter. Uh, on the feet, she's kind of average. She has some okay kickboxing, a decent jab. But again, Matzo is going to be much more dangerous there. So Davis would have to make up for Matzo's technique and power advantage by just trying to outvalue her and be more aggressive. And I think that that would get punished because uh, Matzo probably could knock her out. I really legitimately think she can. So uh, 
basically how this fight plays out, I think Matsu gets the better of Davis on the feet and either wins a decision there or perhaps gets a finish. Uh, but she just has to be careful because if Davis can close that distance and wrap up something, she could potentially finish her with a submission. So uh, Matsu is going to be my pick. I think that she is, you know, has a very bright future in the division, but uh, she just has to be careful because Davis, you know, you cannot underestimate her and Matsu definitely should not, you know, you do not want to give a veteran like that a chance. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Alexander Hernandez, who is 12 and three taking on Tiago Moises, who is 14 and four. Now, Nick, What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hernandez up at minus 140. Moises at plus 120. And right now looking over Circus Sports, Hernandez blew up to minus 235. The comeback on Moises at plus 200. So obviously more action coming in Hernandez's way. I get it, especially minus 140. I just, I don't trust Hernandez as much as everybody out there. I mean, I think he's had too many like awkward and kind of letdown spots. I mean, the attributes are there for him. I mean, he's powerful. He's fast. He's aggressive. He's got wrestling. I mean, dynamite in his hands coming from a good camp. So there's a lot to like about Hernandez. It's just defensively. I mean, at times he just, his output does start to slow. He's a little bit hittable. Um, and then once things start not going so well for him, it just kind of all falls apart. So I think he's had, a, a you know, some tough moments like that in the cage, which has me a little bit cautious, and suspect. I understand it was Cerrone and Dober, um, those losses, but that Ronaldo fight, he could have easily won against him as well. So I don't know. I'm not sure what we're getting in Hernandez. I was expecting him, honestly, to be a little bit more successful than he's been or a little bit more dominant than he's been. And like I said, it's kind of been a roller coaster ride somewhat. Moises, on the other hand, another one of these guys is kind of a, a growing up and coming talent. I think he, as he's getting a little bit older, I mean, he's only 25 years old now and he's been around the sport for a while. So he's still young. He's kind of filling into his physique, getting stronger all, you know, all the time and, and just better, more confident in his stand up game. Cause the ground game is definitely where it's at for Moises. Obviously we know that. I mean, the ability to get the fight to the floor, his wrestling is getting better. It's improving. It's just that not that dynamic wrestling that, you would love for him to have, especially to go along with that awesome jiu-jitsu game. So the takedowns are probably going to be pretty difficult here in this spot against Hernandez. And on the feet, Hernandez is going to be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit of the harder hitter and probably more effective in that regard. But I think Moises can find his opportunities. I think he's a little bit more technically sound um, in this spot with his striking. If he's patient and is able to kind of snipe away at Hernandez along the way and counter him well, I think he could have success on the feet here as well. So I think it's going to be a lot closer than people anticipate across the board, but it's hard not to pick Hernandez in this spot. So I will pick him, but I do think as the line kind of creeps up, especially now it's a minus 235 at Circa, it's probably a dog or pass situation. I just don't trust Hernandez as much as uh, everybody out there that seems to be kind of laying the chalk on him. Again, laying it at minus 140 is one thing, but laying it at minus 235 is a total different beast. So I would be careful if you are going to bet this fight at this point, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. Yeah, this is definitely one you have to be careful with because uh, Hernandez is a fighter with um, really good power, great aggression and good wrestling. But the wrestling, I think he's not going to want to screw around here because Moises is an elite grappler and he could catch him with something easily. So, you kind of take that away. So now Hernandez is mainly only using his wrestling to keep the fight upright. And Moises is a pretty good striker. I mean, 
You look at his last fight against Bobby Green now, you can argue that Bobby Green probably should have won that, but Moises was landing some of the heavier, cleaner shots, uh, even if, you know, Green was landing more. Um, Moises was, you know, hurting him a little bit too. So if he was hurting a, somebody that's, you know, pretty durable like Green and is a pretty good defensive fighter, um, Hernandez leaves some bigger openings than Green. So that does, you know, give me some cause for concern. Uh, Hernandez is extremely aggressive though, and he definitely can outwork Moises on the feet. Like if this goes to decision, I would be stunned if Moises won, unless Moises is winning rounds by hurting Hernandez and not finishing him. But if he does not do that, I think Hernandez runs away with this for a potential decision uh, and perhaps even overwhelms him and knocks him out. But uh, he does have to be careful because we've seen against good strikers. Now, Moises is an amazing striker, but he does have some pretty good clean striking ability. Um, And when Hernandez faces people that do have that ability, he can get clipped. Uh, You saw it against uh, Donald Cerrone and you saw it uh, in the loss to Drew Dober. Um, So Hernandez can't overextend himself either, even if he's being aggressive. Now, uh, Hernandez looked great in his last fight against Chris Gritzmacher. So I'm hoping he kind of brings that same level here. Um, And Hernandez should have a very slight reach advantage. So I like Hernandez, but again, you have to be really careful because uh, if he overextends and gets clipped or if somehow Moises is able to wrap him up, this gets interesting in a hurry. So my pick is Hernandez, but I'm staying away. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Alex Caceres, who is 17 and 12, taking on Kevin Kroom, who is 21 and 12. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Caceres open minus 300, the comeback on Kroom at plus 250. And right now, what we have over at Circus Sports is currently Caceres minus 190, the comeback on Kroom plus 165. A lot more accurate, and in fact, probably still a little bit high. I mean, I know Caceres has been, honestly, a very solid fighter. You know, again, what you're getting with him. I mean, this guy has grown quite a bit since the Ultimate Fighter. He's become a very tough out, very solid fighter. I mean, he's got that length. He's got that striking ability. He's got good jiu-jitsu. I mean, historically, his chin and his grappling defense have kind of let him down, but he keeps on improving in those areas. So it's, he's a tough out. But the problem here is Kroom is also a very good, well-rounded fighter, kind of one of these savvy vets that's been around the sport for a long time and is finally coming into his own, getting that UFC shot. An impressive debut win on short notice for Kroom as well. He's got power on the feet and he's got a good submission, an opportunistic submission game as well. So this is going to be a fireworks type of fight back and forth. These guys are going to definitely do damage. I think both these guys have potential to finish each other as well as the fight progresses. So another tough one to lay the chalk on. I understand why everybody came in on crew at that dog price for sure. And like I said, it's a dog or pass situation still at the betting window here. So I'm going to pick Caceres because if it's a toss up type of fight, of course, I'm going to lean his way a little bit. But still, I think, you know, you, you can't look to lay the chalk here in this spot. I think it's it's more of a crew situation or pass. And I understand it because Kroom is hyper aggressive and he is a good grappler and he is a guy that has competed at higher weight classes, so he does have some strength. And there's the possibility that, you know, Caceres just gets overwhelmed, gets bullied in this fight. Um, That being said, 
I think Caceres has the technique advantage just about everywhere. Um, Caceres is a really good grappler, and he has some excellent uh, pace and technique on the feet. So um, in the stand-up, I expect Caceres to get the better of Kroom, um, especially if he can keep his distance. And then if it does get closer, Kroom probably is the better wrestler here. So I'd be a little nervous about Kroom uh, jumping on something from top position. But um, as this fight goes on, I favor Caceres. So uh, the main thing here I, you have to watch out for is that early blitz because uh, Kroom did it against Roosevelt Roberts, kind of caught him napping. And if uh, you know Caceres is kind of feeling him out and not ready, that could totally catch him off guard. But uh, as this fight plays out, I think the longer it goes, the more it leans toward Caceres. And if Caceres just fights measured and uh, cautious, he should be able to at least win two out of three rounds to win a decision, if not pick up a finish along the way. So my pick is going to be Alex Caceres. Now, dropping down to the women's strawweight division, we have Angela Hill, who is 12 and 9, taking on Ashley Yoder, who is 8 and 6. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hill open minus 175, Yoder plus 150. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we're looking at Hill minus 365, the comeback on Yoder plus 300. Opening line was not quite enough. Obviously, everybody pouncing on Hill. I mean, Hill's looked great. Um, it, just typically speaking, I think Yoder has been one of these fighters that just doesn't get a whole lot of respect. I think she has a very good, solid overall game as she continues to improve as well. Obviously, her ground game is her best attribute as well. She's very slick, very smooth, very technical on the ground. Her takedown ability is always improving, but she does does not have that, again, dynamic explosive takedown game or the wrestling to go along with it. So at times she has to set up her takedowns with her striking. She is fairly long for the division at times and, you know, has a decent reach. Her striking on the feet is improving. She's pushing a higher pace for sure. So she's hanging in there and, and developing her game quite nice. But the problem is for her, Hill is also developing. She's got a lot better. She's not a one-trick pony as she kind of once was in her UFC career. Just a, a really solid striker that was susceptible to the takedown game. And then obviously once you got her on the ground, she could kind of, you know, have those moments in time where she gives up position and gets submitted and just looks like a fish out of water on the ground. Well, Hill's addressed those issues and she's gotten much, much better. So I think that's why everybody is a believer in Hill's game right now. Hard to take down. Once she's on the ground, her defense has improved quite a bit as well. And on the feet, she's going to outstrike most. So I get it. I understand it. But I just think Yoder is going to be competitive here, man. And if Yoder gets the fight to the floor, if she's able to take Hill's back, I think she's still capable of finishing this fight despite Hill's improvements. So at the price now, it's getting a little bit insane. I get it. I think Hill can, Hill can edge out a decision. So I'm going to pick her to win this fight. But this is, especially at the price now, it's a dog or pass situation again. Because I think Yoder will be more competitive than people think on the feet. And then if she does have the opportunity to get a submission or to take advantage of a spot on the ground with hill she will do so so you cannot comfortably lay minus 300 or above on hill despite her being the rightful favorite in this spot so for me i'm going to pick hill to win but if you're looking to bet this fight i would take a small stab at the dog or just kind of stay away from it but there's no way i would even throw hill in a parlay at this price there's no value left so at minus 175 i get it but at minus 365 i do not get it so for me dog or pass situation. I'm going to pick Hill to win though. And I like Hill as well. I think she's fighting at an extremely high level right now. 
And the main thing that you always have to worry about with her, though, is the grappling. Um, she has improved her takedown defense and has shown um, that when she can keep fights upright, she's really dangerous. Uh, but she is coming off of a pair of very close losses to two elite fighters in the division in uh, Gedelia and Watterson. But um, that being said, I think that she should have a pretty strong competitive advantage here against Yoder. Now, uh, on the feet, Yoder does fight pretty long, and she has a good jab. So um, if she can kind of keep keep Hill at the end of it, I think she could be okay. But uh, the main thing here is Hill has a big-time power edge. She has a good... She pushes a good pace. She has strong striking technique. Um, honestly, the only thing I'm really worried about in this fight is if this goes to the ground. Because Yoder actually does have a pretty strong grappling background. And if she wraps Hill up in something, she could potentially get a finish. But Hill has shown some pretty improved submission defense lately. So I'm not too worried about that. But if Yoder is able to get her grappling going, um, she could definitely be a lot more competitive in this fight. Um, this is a rematch, and Hill won pretty clearly the last time, and I think that she does the same thing here. But um, I am a little nervous about what happens if this goes to the ground, because uh, Hill has lost some competitive decisions recently, and this is, a, on paper, a major drop in competition level, and if she treats it like that... You know, she could get surprised, but my pick is going to be Hill. Now, moving up to the Bantamweight division, we have Pedro Munoz, who is 18 and 5, taking on Jimmy Rivera, who is 23 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Rivera minus 150, Munoz plus 130. And right now at the price over at Circus Sports, minus 145, plus 125. Solid opener. It's been staying pretty steady around this price range. Um, has been two-way action coming to this fight. A very difficult fight, I think, at the betting window for a lot of people. If you look at their first fight, I mean, it was a while back, kind of earlier, both gentlemen's UFC careers, of course, and they've both come a long way since. Um, it was a pretty competitive fight. Rivera did get the better of the boxing on the feet. Um, Munoz, I think ended up pushing forward and making a case and making it a very competitive fight because he did damage along the way. Rivera actually did some damage too. It was just, it was a great fight. I mean, just high level MMA and all aspects of the game for sure. And both these guys showed you why um, they're at the top of the food chain when it comes to the Bantamweight division for sure. Um, and this rematch though, I, I do favor Munoz a little bit personally for myself here because I, I do think that he is going to be the more effective striker, meaning that I think he's going to land the more damaging blows he does get hit, and that's what I don't like about it, but he's durable. I think the durability factor goes on his side as well. I mean, this guy has been hurt in fights, but he recovers so well, and it's just it seems like he's kind of a zombie. He just walks through it and then he continues to dish out the punishment. Rivera's more of a, definitely a hard hitter. Don't get me wrong. He's got knockout power too, but I think he could touch Munoz up a little bit more along the way and try to appoint him here, but I think if there's a finish going to come, it's Munoz either by rocking, possibly knocking Rivera out, or hopping on one of his obviously tremendous guillotine chokes or submission on the ground that he's more than capable of doing as well. Rivera has grid wrestling. It's not easy to take him down, but if you rock him and hurt him, I wouldn't be surprised if Munoz is able to hop on a sub. I think if this fight hits the scorecards, it's going to be another ultra-competitive fight, split-decision type of fight. Um, and I would obviously expect Rivera to have a slight slit edge on the scorecards, 
But that being said, I think it's competitive enough where honestly Munoz can pull off a decision win here. And I think he can possibly get the finish. He has more ways to win this fight. So for me at plus money, I think you have to kind of look towards Munoz more so than Rivera here in this spot. So again, I don't, I think it's not going to be a very popular opinion, but I do think it's a dog or pass situation. I'm going to pick Munoz to win this fight straight out because I think you could see this fight being more of exactly a pick at this point, or if not make a case for Munoz possibly being a slight favorite. So if you're getting him at the dog money price, I think it's worth a look. So my pick is Munoz and I think it's going to be another classic battle of Bantamweight. Yeah, the last time these two scrapped, um, Rivera got the better of Munoz because he was the superior striker. He had really good, clean boxing technique. Uh, Munoz is powerful. He's dangerous, but he is a little loopy and wild. And Rivera, by being the the cleaner, better uh, defense-oriented fighter, um, he was able to not just land the good shots, but he actually rocked Munoz a couple times. So um, I think... If this stays standing, and it should, then you have to favor Rivera, even though Munoz has shown to be really durable and Munoz, and Rivera is not. I mean, we've seen Rivera get knocked out clean against uh, Marlon Moraes, and we've seen him you know, get hurt uh, and finished even way back on The Ultimate Fighter. So um, I'm a little nervous about this, clearly, because uh, both guys have kind of hit a wall of resistance at the top of the Bantamweight division um, where maybe they're not quite good enough to be, you know, fighting for a title, but they're good enough to be competing against some of the best guys. Um, But I think that Rivera is still just a little bit better. Um, You know, Rivera has lost to, you know, Sterling and Jan, you know, the two guys fighting for the title and Marais, somebody that's fought for the belt. Um, Whereas Munoz, I think, has lost to some lesser fighters. Now, I know this is MMA math a little bit, but uh, just hear me out. I think, uh, I also think that Munoz's most recent loss, that split decision to Frankie Edgar, looks a little bit worse after, you know, Edgar looked almost done uh, in his most recent fight. So um, I'm going to go with Rivera, but again, I'm very nervous because Munoz is elite with his submissions and if Rivera gets rocked and shoots for a takedown he could jump right into a guillotine Um, and the fact that Rivera is a little chinny if Munoz even if he's wild you know you can still connect and if Munoz cracks him he could put him away uh, or put him in a position to uh, get finished with a submission or even lose a decision so uh, I expect Rivera to get the better of the stand-up, but the durability is a big question mark for me. Now, dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Montana De La Rosa, who is 11-6, taking on Myra Bueno Silva, who is 7-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Silva open minus 145, De La Rosa plus 125. And right now looking over Circus Sports, we're seeing Silva minus 125, the comeback at De La Rosa plus 05. Just recently took some sharp action coming in towards De La Rosa a little bit. And the line dropped. Now the market price is a little bit higher in most spots out there, but I'm expecting it to kind of drop down a little bit too. We might see the plus money disappear on De La Rosa um, at 
probably within the next few hours, honestly, I would think that we see a shift and continue to kind of go her way. This is going to be a very competitive fight, and I think it's a dog or pet situation for sure. So that's why you're seeing De La Rosa come in um, and get the love, I guess, from the betters out there. I, I see the improvements in her game. I think she get top position as well. I mean, both these ladies obviously are a little bit better, I think, on the ground than they are on the feet. They're developing their stand-up game. Um, I think De La Rosa is a little bit more hittable for my liking. I mean, she gets busted up. She does have a tendency to kind of show the punishment as the fight wears on. Um, you know, she starts to bleed a little bit. And I think that's not a good look for the judges at times. But she's tough. She hangs in there. Her striking is getting better. It's improving. Her wrestling has always been pretty solid. And she has a good offensive jiu-jitsu game. Silva, on the other hand, she showed how dangerous she is. She's capable even off her back to finish fights by submission. Her stand-up, I think she's got a little bit more pure power here in this spot. And she might be able to mark up De La Rosa. So on the feet, it's going to be fairly competitive. And both these ladies are going to be going for top position here on the ground for sure. I just think overall, it's probably De La Rosa with a better wrestling and more control uh, of this fight as it goes throughout. But that said, she's going to have to be cautious and not, you know, like overly um, disrespect, I guess, Silva on the ground. I think De La Rosa can survive and not get finished by Silva. And that's why she's probably going to end up winning a very competitive decision here. But that being said, you know, Silva is going to be very game and very difficult for De La Rosa to kind of control and keep down and, and kind of keep at bay there as well. So a dog or pass situation, I am going to pick De La Rosa to win. I understand it. I see it, uh, but I'm expecting it to be a very close fight. And if it hits the scorecards, we could see another split decision here. I'm a little nervous about this because while I think that Montana De La Rosa is the better fighter here, um, Myro Bueno Silva is a really talented grappler. Um, the problem is that Silva is not very good at wrestling. So when she wins, it's usually somebody else bringing the fight to the ground or somebody else closing the distance and giving her that opportunity. Um, you know, she got that ninja choke back on the contender series. And then in her UFC fight so far, um, her two wins have been arm bars from bottom against uh, Jillian Robertson and uh, Mara Barella. So as long as De La Rosa doesn't do anything really stupid, I think that she could just outpoint Silva on the feet. Now, I'm not saying De La Rosa is a world beater on the feet. That's not historically been one of her strengths. But uh, watching her last fight against uh, Vivian Araujo, she made some strides in her stand-up. I thought uh, it looked pretty good. Now, against the elite strikers in the division, yeah, she would still get you know completely outclassed, but... That's not a strength for Silva. So with Montana being the much better wrestler of the two, I think she can use that wrestling in reverse, keep this upright, and outpoint Silva on the feet. Um, and she could still mix in some takedowns late in rounds to seal them. Just be careful because Silva can jump on an armbar at any moment. And even though De La Rosa's only ever been submitted by... Um, uh, by Mackenzie Dern, um, she could still get herself in a bad spot. So you just have to be careful um, because, again, um, Silva is a really, really dangerous submission expert, and you don't want to play with fire too much, but she does have the wrestling advantage, Montana does, and I do think she has the striking edge. So play to those strengths outpoint her on the feet, maybe mix in takedowns at the end of rounds. And I think that De La Rosa should walk away with the decision here. But if there's anything that uh, 
that nothing surprises me in women's MMA. And if Silva is able to somehow pull off a submission, I would not be shocked. But De La Rosa will be my pick. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we have Nikita Krylov, who is 27-7, taking on Magomed Ankalaev, who is 14-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Ankalaev, minus 240, the comeback at Krylov, plus 205. Right now, we're seeing at Circus Sports, Ankalaev, minus 350, the comeback on Krylov at plus 290. Obviously, the betting value, I think, on Nikolaev is long gone here. I mean, if you guys got minus 240, now it's minus 350. That was a great take. I do think this guy's an absolute stud, man. I mean, he's definitely the real deal. Everything that we've seen about him, outside of that head-scratcher loss that he had, obviously, uh, when he was dominating um, his fight against Craig and then got submitted last minute, I mean, he's looked just phenomenal in in his UFC career, and I think that that is no fluke. It's going to probably continue – uh, to be that way for him because he's just got everything that you'd love to see, especially in the light heavyweight division. I mean, he's got great striking, precision, power, um, that killer instinct. And, of course, he's got good wrestling to go along with it. And top game, ground and pound. I mean, the submission ability. Now, obviously, his submission defense, like I said, a head scratcher against Paul Craig. But since then, he's looked great. Um, and I don't expect that situation to kind of occur. I mean, Craig is a very savvy and, and slick jujitsu practitioner, even off his back. Kralov is pretty slick offensively too. I mean, with his subs, but I just think it's a different type of fight. Um, and I don't expect Kralov to kind of get that opportunity here, but that being said, Kralov is dangerous. I mean, he's constantly improving. I think this guy's always been kind of underrated. He's getting stronger, um, coming off a very solid win over a very dangerous opponent in Johnny Walker. So his confidence level is on an all-time high. He's got enough power to do damage on the feet. And again, I mean, maybe the submission game is is good enough, and I'm not really giving um, Krylov enough credit in that regard against Ankalaev. We'll see. I mean, this is a big test for both guys. It's just a test that I think Ankalaev should pass more times than not. I mean, he's just the better fighter. I think this guy potentially could be the next light heavyweight king. I mean, and, and kind of reign for a little while. That's how skilled this gentleman is. So starts with a very tough win here though, or continues, I should, with a very tough win here over Krylov. Uh, but you can't lay the price here because Krylov is dangerous enough that he could maybe land a finishing blow on the feet. I don't think he does. Or like I said, he has that submission ability to kind of make it a threat if it, if he does tangle up with Ankalaev on the ground. But that being said, I expect Ankalaev to kind of roll here and look impressive like he has in the past. And this is going to be another solid win on his resume on his way up. So Ankalaev, I think, is the pick here. But it's a stay away for me fight at the betting window right now. I mean, I think everybody kind of missed out on the value of minus 240. And I don't think you can kind of come in on this fight at this point. And I agree that Ankalaev is the more technically sound striker here. Um, If he is able to keep this fight at kickboxing range, he should definitely win. I mean, he is very good with his hands, and he has quick, uh, nasty kicks as well. Uh, We've seen him pull off some pretty impressive uh, kick knockouts with, uh, you know, the the wins against Procneo or uh, uh, Dalcha. And most recently, you know, the, the performances against Kudalaba, you know, a guy that is tough as nails, and finishes him twice in the first round. You can say what you want about the first time they fought, but he, uh, you know, proved it the second time. Um, you know, this guy is legit. Um, the only thing I'm really worried about, as Nick said, is that Krylov, even though he's not as technically sound as Ankalaev, he is game. I mean, this guy has heart. He has 
sometimes the ability to overcome a technique disadvantage. Um, he is very opportunistic with his attacks on the ground. Um, you saw where maybe he looked like a novice the first time he faced a OSP. When they rematched, he submitted St. Prue. So that was really surprising. Um, and we've seen him jump on some submissions. So I think he's more than capable of submitting uh, Ankalaev if this goes to the ground. But uh, if it stays standing, Ankalaev should definitely be getting the better of him. Uh, but Krylov is dangerous on the feet too. He's got power. He's got head kicks. I mean, he knocked out Walt Harris with a head kick. So uh, this guy is definitely capable. And um, I don't think that you should be underestimating him here. He is uh, a very, very dangerous fighter that finishes opponents. So if Angolayev leaves an opening, Krylov could definitely take it, uh, seize it. So uh, I'm going to go with Angolayev because I just believe in his technique. But if he leaves a hole and Ank- and uh, Krylov you know, snatches it, with whether it's a submission or just an opportunistic strike, uh, or a head kick that maybe Ankalaev doesn't see coming, uh, I would not be stunned. But uh, I am going to pick Ankalaev to get the win, probably by knockout. But again, uh, you know, just you got to be careful here. Now, moving on to the main event of the evening, we have a heavyweight contest featuring Jerzino Rosenstruik, who is 11 and 1, and he's taking on Cyril Gane, who is 7 and 0. Now, Nick. What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Gane opens minus 300. The comeback on Rosa Strike at plus 250. And right now looking over Circus Sports, we currently have Gane at minus 225. The comeback on Rosa Strike at plus 195. So more action coming in Rosa Strike's way overall. Some sharp action included as of late, causing the line to drop. I understand it. I mean, the price was just a little bit too high market-wide. And now we're seeing the line drop and come a little bit more towards reality. Look. I like Gane a lot. I think this guy's a future champion. I mean, he's got the skill set. What you like to see in a heavyweight. I mean, his striking ability is world-class for sure. Technical, power, precision. I mean, patient. So he's got good conditioning, good cardio. Everything seems to be on track for him, especially on the feet. He's has surprised us and showed us that he's more than a striker um, with his ground game, with his wrestling, with his submission ability. So he's evolving into a complete fighter and a really slick heavyweight. So the talent is there across the board. I mean, he is getting tested, though, here in this spot against Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike, a very talented striker in his own right. I know he got destroyed quickly against Ngano, but I mean, Ngano is the type of freak athlete that, I mean, he could go out there and one punch KO most. So we've seen that time and time again. It's not necessarily a bad loss. In fact, I think Rosenstrike's chin is actually pretty solid from what we've seen before the Engano fight. So I don't think he's a chinny type of fighter. But again, at the heavyweight division and at this level, of course, these guys can all knock each other out if they catch each other flush. So that's always something to consider and be worried and cautious about with heavyweight MMA. But as far as skill set goes, I mean, Ghana is the better fighter. He should be the favorite in this spot. I am going to pick him to win. I do think it was a dog or pass situation, though, because again, Rosenstrike could change the complexion of fight with one punch, and he's a hard guy to take down and keep down, even though Ghani does have the grappling advantage on the ground over Rosenstrike. I still think that Rosenstrike is going to present some problems with staying on his back, because he typically does transition well, get off his back and come back to the feet, and then on the feet, obviously he's a problem. I still think Ghani can address all the problems and kind of adapt and end up winning this fight possibly by finishing his own right. Um, 
but it's going to be a tough test. And this is going to be a solid win for either guy for sure. And it's going to propel them probably to the number one contender status or close to it, if not. So I'm going to pick Gandhi to win, but really looking forward to this fight. Another awesome heavyweight scrap. And I like Gane as well. Now, Rosenstruik is extremely talented. I mean, we've seen him rack up big win after big win after big win against a trio of veterans in, you know, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, and Andre Arlovsky, uh, knocking out all three of them. Um, that being said, though, I do think that he is a little bit technically flawed. Um, you know, he is uh, big and long and powerful, but... Uh, you know, he was getting outpointed by Overeem for, you know, four and a half rounds, even longer than that, um, before he landed that miracle, uh, you know, right cross. So against somebody like Gane, who I think is extremely technically sound, somebody that has really put it together, um, I think that Gane can outpoint Rosenstruik over the course of a, a five round fight. Now, we haven't seen Gane in five rounds, and we've seen Rosenstruik pull off a, a miracle in the end of a fifth round, so I'm a little nervous about how Gane looks if this fight does go into those championship rounds, but um, I think that Gane is going to be able to land those cleaner strikes. Uh, Gane is very, very capable. I mean, this guy can hurt you with his hands, he can hurt you with his elbows, as we saw in his most recent fight, and he can hurt you with his grappling. Uh, he has some very underrated ground game. So uh, that's something that I think Rosenstruik is going to have to be on the lookout for because if, for some reason, Gane is not finding that same level of success on the feet, I think he can take this to the ground and look really good. I mean, we've seen him pull off a heel hook. We've seen him pull off an arm triangle. We've seen him finish people with ground and pound. And uh, so this is a, a guy that can really mix it up, both standing and on the ground. Um, I think Gane might be the future in the heavyweight division, possibly. I mean, this guy is legit. Um, so I'm really excited about what he's going to be bringing here. Uh, Rosenstruck is going to have a puncher's chance because he is very big and powerful and, you know, and he's proven it. I mean, he finishes people, uh, but we have seen him get outpointed uh, by superior technical fighters. And, you know, we have seen Nganu just blitz him, but I don't think Ghana will do that. So I think Ghana will take, kind, of, kind of take that Overeem route and finish what Overeem started. So I like Ghana. I think he gets the biggest win of his career and puts himself right in contention. So Ghana is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 20. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. Um, we also have the free bet section on MMAOddsBreaker.com. So just check that tab on our front page. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.